This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, today Pastor Andrew Wong will be speaking on our treasures and our hearts. He will be looking at Luke 12, 13 to 34 for this sermonette. You may wish to open up your Bible as I read it from the ESV. Luke 12, 13 to 34. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Then I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid out for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is the one who lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, or you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows what you need. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, that will your heart be also. Now we will invite Pastor Wong to share with us. 
Thanks, Angie, for reading today's passage and a very warm welcome to everyone. Now, when my wife was pregnant, I said to myself this um, years back, I said, all I want is for my twins to be healthy. And then they grew up upon returning from Australia. We had a, tro- we had a little lot of trouble finding a local school uh, because they were not Singaporeans. And I said to myself, all I want was a primary school. And then the exam results came. And then I said, all I want is for them to pass. Well, it'll be a bonus if they do well. And so life will be better when they grow up. Do you hear what's happening? How quickly I found myself inclining to the expectations that the society gave us. Have you ever felt such moving targets that tugs your heart? Well, perhaps it's not kids or even grandkids, but jobs. In the past, when you first had a job, you said, I just want a job after graduation, but over the decades, I want a better prospect. Uh, How about better pay? Or perhaps at home, in the past, we just want a roof of our head and then have nice deco and then bigger house, higher floors, and we think about valuations. Or perhaps our bank account. At the start, when everyone was young, all I need is enough for water and bread. And along the way, well, how about occasional restaurants or good food eventually? Uh, I think now we need health supplements and enough safety net to include whatever holidays we can have and enjoy. I wonder if you have felt these moving targets that tugs at your heart constantly. Well, if you do, then welcome to the internal world of our hearts. Now, again, a very good morning. My name is Andrew, and it's always a privilege to be here with you. And like you, I'm looking forward to hearing from Prof. Cole, who as a Christian and an expert in this field, has so much wisdom to impart to us regarding financial planning for retirement. In fact, incidentally, Prof. Cole taught me some 20 plus years ago when I was enrolled in SMU uh, in his first cohort of students. Now, before Prof. Cole comes up, I've been asked to open up the Bible so that we can hear what God has to say about our possessions, our treasures, and this tugging of our hearts. And I hope that will be helpful as we listen to Prof. Cole later as well. Now, wealth is a very powerful tool. Someone wisely puts it that the movement of our money reflects the movement of our hearts. So there are three points I'd like to get us to consider in today's passage that Angie just read for us. So here are the three points um, from today's passage. The first one that is from verse 13 to 21 that we are to guard against wealth's deception. And then we have to guard against worries, deception from verse 22 to 31. In fact, wealth and worry are two sides of the same coin. And then the third is to steer our heart's direction by seeking heavenly treasures. Now here's the setting. Today's passage was set 2,000 years ago in the days of Jesus. He was surrounded by people who basically have the same fundamental issues that you and I have. What are we allowing to steer our heart's direction? So look with me if you have your Bible, and I hope you have, to Luke chapter 12, verse 13. This is what happened. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, a few verses prior, we were actually told that there were thousands and thousands of people following Jesus at this moment. They wanted to hear from Jesus. Many wanted to be healed of their sickness. And right at this moment, out of this huge crowd, 
someone suddenly stood up and said to Jesus, Teacher or Rabbi, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me. Now, customarily, a, a rabbi or a teacher may sometimes be asked to deal with disputes. But here is a startling one. This particular person brings out the dirty laundry of the family before a stadium full of thousands of people. It's clear the relationship between two siblings had turned sour. One had taken all the inheritance, the other one his cut. So they were basically fighting over their father's grave. Now Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Or in other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to get caught up with your inheritance dispute. Now he has come to bring people to God and not possessions to people. However, Jesus is concerned with the maggots living inside a person's heart. And so he said this in verse 15, he said this, watch out, be on your guard, that is to guard yourself against all kinds of greed. Because life does not consist, or perhaps better translated, life is not found in abundance of possessions. Now, in other words, what sounded like a justice issue was camouflaging the human greed. Now, for those of us who have seen enough in our life, we have seen disputes over inheritance, over extended family, and hopefully not in yours, you know how ugly disputes over inheritance can get. And so when we read what Jesus said, Two things we must note in Jesus' reply. The first is this, that we are to watch out. This watch out is like a signpost of warning. And then he says, guard yourself. There is this danger we need to guard against, which is the floodgate of greed. Now Socrates, he said this, that he who is not contented with what he has would not be contented with what he would like to have. No, greed is like this bottomless pit that can never reach satisfaction. Now, someone else says this, it's possible to satisfy your need, but it's impossible to satisfy your greed. Now, that's why the world says, how about Jesus? What does Jesus say about greed? Now, this is what Jesus says. He says, having a lot of stuff has got nothing to do with having a life. Having stuff Having a lot of stuff has got nothing to do with life. Look at verse 15 if you have your Bible. He says this, verse 15, Life is not found in abundance of possessions. No, greed buys into wealth's deception, which is this, this mantra. Things equals to life. But scripture tells us in John 17 verse 3 that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have Sent. You know, life is not found in wealth, but in knowing God and in Jesus Christ. So to put all these things together, Jesus gave this parable from 16 to 20. Just look at it from verse 16 onwards. There's this certain rich man. He had you a, a harvest, abundant harvest on one particular year. You now this man is, is wealthy, he's loaded with crops, and he, he ran out of storage. In fact, he's a shrewd man, a great planner. He's a Perhaps even a property magnet. No, no doubt a man who has many workers and farmers under him. So he's a smart, he's a capable and even perhaps influential man. So on all accounts, 
If you look at it, his wealth probably came from very legit business. You don't find some, um, some funny stuff there. It seems very legit. But then look at how God sees this man, surprisingly. Look at verse 20. God said to him, you fool. Why is this rich man a fool in God's eyes? Well, it can't be his intelligence or his capability. But what is it? Have a look at verse 17 to 19 of the Bible. God calls him a fool because this rich man's life revolved just on himself. Verse 17, he says, what shall I do? I have no place. Verse 18, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down and build. I will store. Verse 19, I will say to myself, you. The only time he says you is just me, right? He says to himself, you or I have plenty. Take life easy. Eat and drink and be merry. Now, what is wrong here? Is it wrong to be rich? Well, this passage never tells us anything positive or negative about being rich. Rather, Jesus points and warns of the danger of focusing on wealth and be deceived about life. Now, in all his thoughts, this man gave no indication of others or of God. Because of his wealth, this man had a misplaced sense of entitlement of his wealth when he's rich. Uh, the Old Testament says, leave some grace behind for the poor to pick. Remember the Lord your God, but not this rich man. I will store my supplies, my stuff, not take life easy for myself. Now, because of his wealth, this man has this misplaced sense of control. He assumed he had many years ahead of his earlier retirement, forgetting that his life was never in his hands. Verse 20, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Now, because of his wealth, he has this misplaced sense of self-assurance. You know, verse 19, I have plenty. I'll enjoy life. I'll take it easy. I'll eat, drink, be merry. You know, I, I've worn and earned this hard-earned hard um, stuff. But not knowing that wealth means nothing, the moment verse 20 comes when God says, I'll remove your life or your soul tonight or within the next hour. Now, wealth is powerful, but it can also be very deceitful. Wealth tells us We'll lose out in life if we don't get a piece of the pie. And so siblings break their ties over inheritance. This is something, the last thing we want of our, our kids, right? But th this happens. Wealth says it is worth more than relationship. Wealth even promised a, a good life. But Jesus says life is not found in wealth. Consider the abrupt end of the fool with the many eyes or me's. He became a fool not because he's brainless, but because he is godless. In verse 21, this is how you'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. So the issue is not how much we have. The question is what we do not have. The danger of wives, the wealth deception is that temptation to believe actually wealth equals to life. And then we start to cling on to wealth and look at wealth as our practical God, even in our old age. And Jesus says, watch out, be on guard, because life is not found in wealth. Now here are the questions as we take away this first portion. Are there ways we have been deceived by wealth's narrative? That wealth has tucked our hearts in the wrong direction. Perhaps the question we ask ourselves is, do we think and feel better of ourselves because we have wealth? Do we feel more secure in life if we have more in our bank account? 
Now, one of the things I couldn't fully understand uh, over the years is the naming of insurance products. You know, <laughs> many of us will have insurance, right? You know, I, I know car insurance protects the car, right? You, you pay for its repairs, you get a new car, even hospital insurance covers medical bills if I'm in a hospital, accident insurance, yeah, when I have accident. But life insurance, it kicks in when I die and the money goes to someone else. Why not call it death insurance? Perhaps no one is going to buy it. But here's the thing, life insurance. But money cannot give us life once God takes it away. No, what deceptions do wealth possibly whispers in our ears? Perhaps it says, hey, Andrew, we'll lose out if we have less. Or that God favors us before because we have more. Or God forgets us because we have less than others. But what is our narrative about wealth or wealth's narrative for us? Now, one of my favorite circular songs is called Heard sung by the late Johnny Cash shortly before he passed away. He has this really moving MTV. You could see it on YouTube. Old Cash was sitting in front of this great banquet, but he has totally lost appetite. And, and he sang these words. He says, What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. So that is the great achiever. Johnny Cash singing this song. No, wealth is very useful under control, but it will let us down and you'll hurt us if it becomes our practical God. So here's the question, what is wealth to us? Perhaps here's an exercise that we can all do over our years is perhaps write a definition, what is wealth to you? And then you place it next to our bank account or our own calendars and look over the last year or even last few years. Are we reached towards God or has wealth actually taken a better hold of our lives. Now, having spoken to the crowd, Jesus then now turns to his disciples. And this is what the disciples might be thinking. And perhaps this is how some of us are thinking. He says, well, Jesus, that's a sermon for the rich. We are fishermen. No, no, we are now the poor fishers of men who have given up everything to follow you. What, what about us? I'm not even sure if our CPF is sufficient by the time we retire and go back to Galilee. Well, then listen to what Jesus says next in verse 22. Jesus says this to his disciples specifically. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Now, a commentator once said this, that greed can never get... Can get uh, greed can never get enough, but worry, worry is afraid that it may not have enough. Worry is afraid that it may not have enough. No worry. Many of us have worries. The disciples have worries, and so do you and I. No. So one of the reasons we may have come here for today's session with Prof. Cole is to deal with our financial concerns or even worries for our future, and it is wise, in fact, for us to learn to be better stewards of our possessions. So I'm thankful Prof. Ko is not only an expert in this field, he's also a follower of Jesus who loves and trusts the Lord. Now, the reality is that wealth can represent a danger to those who have plenty, what he said to the crowd, as well as those who do not have, or they think they do not have, like some of the disciples. Now, they are the two sides of the same coin. Worries can distract us from 
what we want to do for others. You know, when I actually have more, I will give. It can distract us from trusting in God. God, why do you give others so much but give me so little at this season of my life? You no, know, it can occupy our thoughts with all the, if only I have more, if only I've done this in the past, or what if I don't have enough? And then it leads us to sleepless nights. You know, like wealth, worries confronts the same thing, our trust in God, and it tucks our heart's desire for more. Or to put it another way, worry confronts us with the same question as wealth. Who is our practical God? So in this section, Jesus gave two illustrations, both starting with the word consider, to deal with this issue of worry. Jesus wants us to recognize two things. One is that life is worth more than wealth. And number two, we need to trust our Heavenly Father who cares for us. So let's go into the wild, into the field to visit the wild animals and wild plants. If you still have your Bible, you can see this very quickly, this two illustration. 24 to 26, Jesus says, consider the ravens. Now, ravens are considered unclean animals and they are definitely not pets, not like the dogs or the rabbits that some of us have. Yet we are told this in Psalm 147, that Psalm 147 tells us this, that God provides for the unclean, for the young ravens, when they call out in hunger. And God delights, not in the strength of the animals who are powerful, but in those who fear Him and put their hope in His unfailing love. No, the wild animals, they do not farm, they have no storehouse, but God said they never lack. So if God cares even for such unclean wild animals, how much more valuable, says Jesus, are the image bearers of God? The driving point of the illustration, the first one is in verse 26, that if we cannot add an hour to our lives, like the rich man, which is really a small thing to God, why do we worry about other things? And then he says that again in verse 27 to 30. Now he says, consider the wild flowers or the grass of the fields. Now the wild flowers, they, they don't dress themselves, yet they are beautiful because their dressmaker is God himself. Even if they live a mere one day, in the morning they came out, in the evening they die, verse 28, God is not stingy in making their dresses more beautiful than Solomon's best tailors can ever design for the king. And so if that be the case, how much more will your heavenly father clothe you, Jesus says, you of little faith. So verse 30, now it is a beautiful picture of a loving relationship that we need to remember because God is not saying, I know someone in the world is hungry, but he's saying, I know my child needs me. But have Jesus used this real life uh, illustration so that on those days, you and I, when our worries really hit the roof, on those days that you feel really worried about stuff, the best thing to do is to put on our shoes and walk out into the field. Perhaps climb Bukitima Hill or even Chachukang Cemetery. Just look at the birds, you know, do some bird watching or the flowers observation. That all things are kept alive by the hand of God since creation and after we are long gone. So here's the thing, do, do I worry? The reality is yes, I probably worry more often than I should. And do you worry? And the answer probably is, yeah, probably more than you should. Because worry, like wealth, 
can blind us from seeing the creator who made creation and then sustained creation. So verse 30 says, for the pagans, they referring to those who do not acknowledge God. For the pagans, they chase after their own appetites as if God does not exist. But Christians, we are not too, because we are to look up to our Heavenly Father, trusting that He cares for us. You know, like my children who comes back home from school, when they open the door, they'll say, Dad, I'm hungry, and then off they go to the shower, trusting that I'm going to take care of them when they're out. How much more for our Heavenly Father? Worry, like wealth, can deceive us. Worry can turn our obsession to the food, to the drinks, the narrow vision of God, we're counting the coins and the sands. Worry is correlated, in fact, Jesus says, to the lack of faith, verse 28. But Jesus really wants us to know that life is more than this and God cares for us. So what's the solution? The solution that Jesus gave is to turn to God, verse 31, to, to seek his kingdom and trust God's provision of our needs. That by seeking God's kingdom, we are saying to ourselves and the voices that our life is not just about us. We are not just another wild animal scrambling for food. We have a heavenly father and we have a kingdom to enter. So here's the question. Are there ways that you and I have been deceived by worries narrative that worries tucks our hearts in the wrong direction? Does worry occupy our mind more than it should persistently there? Does worry steal our hearts, in fact, stealing our joy that we can't sing and praise God, pulling away our generosity because we feel our own scarcity? Now, this, this passage is about material possession, but the same could be said of our time, our emotions, our space, our energy. Do our fears and worries become the ultimate authority that now navigates our daily lives and daily thoughts? Because if that is our situation, then we are in the deception of worries. And what should we do? And this is where Jesus concludes by telling us the answer. That how we are to guard our hearts. We are to do it by seeking heavenly treasures. So look at the last few verses with me. And here's a twist to Jesus' teaching, even as Jesus calls us, to seek his kingdom in verse 31, because now verse 22, he actually says this, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You catch 31 and 32, what's happening? Well, we're meant to see that the kingdom has already been given to us. Everything of eternal value is already found inside his kingdom, given to us at the right time to be received in full. No, in, in, in our world of uncertainty, you read the news all the time. This is such a relief that the kingdom economy does not work like the worldly economy. No, it is the most secure investment, the unfrazzled investment, unfrazzled by war, by worldly uh, economy, economic crisis, sickness there. No, any investment into the eternal kingdom will turn the temporal into Eternal. Now, I don't know how we can define such rate of return in investment, perhaps infinite rate of return. Now, Profco might think of a better name for, for that. Now, one of the most significant reasons, I think, that Christians, that we do not just leave this world and go straight up to our future kingdom, because there's better and there's nothing better than that. But one of the most significant reasons why we do not go into heaven straight away 
is so that others may also enter by our testimony and by proclaiming His word. So Jesus is saying, in view of the kingdom God has given us, the best we can do on this side of life is then to invest for eternal returns. Not that we can get more because we already have everything, but so that more can get into the kingdom. So instead of stressing about money, we are to pursue with all our energy, our resources, to make the Christ, to make Christ's kingdom our ultimate priority. So verse 33 is really, what he's saying there is really telling us, hey guys, sit lightly on our possession. Be willing to let go and use our resource for the kingdom growth. The prosperity we are promised will not be temporal if we have an eternal God. So the question comes as we run out, how do we seek his kingdom? Well, we seek for more to enter the kingdom of God. We seek for those struggling to persevere on for the kingdom to persevere. Perhaps even when we feel our scarcity, there is still plenty for us to invite people over for a meal, spend time sitting with someone grieving, offering a shoulder to cry on, perhaps telling them the good news of Christ and share what little we have, offering them a taste of what Christ has for us, his love, and telling them the offer of forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, and the kingdom to come. Because here's the thing, the world says, the man with the most toys wins. Jesus says, the man with the most toys die just like the man with no toys. The question rather is what happens after we die and those around us. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And John Wesley, in a sermon of money, gave his view about Christians' use of money this way. He says, well, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Because money is not a source of evil. It is a gift from God. With money, we can bring the gospel further as God's people. Together, we can care for the widows, the fatherless, the persecuted, the sick, the suffering. But we need to remember that we are not owners. We're always stewards of God's goods. And so 34, Jesus concludes with this last phrase for us to remember for today. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The movement of our money will tax the movement of our hearts. If you put your money into earthly treasures, not that you would, but imagine you buying a beautiful yellow car. All you see are yellow cars on the road. You, you wouldn't see other cars. If you invest your time and energies researching a country-style home deco, which I think most of us wouldn't at this time, your eyes will pick up for that. But if you invest in a company stock, your eyes will be on every news related to it even pausing at a mall for a second look at the products. But then if we, on the other hand, we invest ourselves, our money, our prayer, our time into heavenly treasures, to gospel-proclaiming ministries, into supporting missionaries, then our hearts will be tuned to the details of the missions, the ministry, the gospel footprints they are covering. And we will gaze and ponder and invest further and further with our hearts to it. That becomes our treasure, our hearts get steered to it. So the heavenly treasure which we invest ourselves in our lives with will stir our hearts more and more towards it. If it's the kingdom, our hearts will turn to the kingdom. So dear friends, where do we find ourselves in this teaching of Jesus? The rich man, the warrior, somewhere in between the spectrum. But either way, the antidote is to steer our hearts direction by investing in heavenly treasures. As we do that, 
we will guide our hearts in the right direction and resist the two great emotional magnets of greed and worry. Why don't I close this time in prayer and I'll hand over to Teg Yen again. Let's, let's just pray together. Father, we thank you for today. As we look at Luke, Father, greed and worry are great magnets to pull away our hearts in either way. But we know, God, that you are more powerful than that. So we pray for your Holy Spirit by your grace that you will steer our hearts in the right direction. Help us to invest our lives into things of eternity that people around us may enter this kingdom which has everything and nothing for us to worry about. So Father, help us invest our lives and all that you have in our years ahead, our remaining years, so that where our treasures are in this lifetime, our hearts will be steered towards it. For your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.